Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Paranormal Paradigm podcast. Sorry there's been a bit of a delay between the last episode and this one, longer than usual anyway, um, but I'm sure you're all aware there's a bit of a, a worldwide issue at the forefront of everybody's minds, everybody's lives. Um, hope you're all keeping safe and I hope that you're all well. Um, not going to dwell too much on, on on that issue really because I know that it's... Uh, it's going to be going on for some time, I think, and you can't seem to turn the TV on or you can't, you know, get social media open without coming across this. Uh, it's playing a huge part in our lives and it is rather depressing, to be honest. So I'm hoping that you're going to be listening to this to just try and escape from that and to, you know, relax a little and take your mind off what's going on elsewhere. So we're not going to dwell on that issue too much at all. Um, today's guest is Dave Hodrian. Now we're going to be stepping away from the paranormal again or from the from the ghost and the spirit side of things and back over into UFOs. Now Dave Hodrian is the chairman and lead investigator for Birmingham UFO Group, or BUFOG for short, one of the most active groups dedicated to the subject in the UK. He has personally investigated hundreds of UFO sightings and over 300 contact cases from around the world. He has spoken at numerous conferences and appeared on television and radio on many occasions. He writes regularly for UFO Truth magazine and has previously written for Paranormal magazine and UFO Matrix. Dave feels that the evidence he has seen over the years points towards interaction between numerous intelligent extraterrestrial species and the human race. Now, Bufag, Birmingham UFO Group, is my local group. And that's where I met Dave because I used to go and, you know, watch lectures and watch people give presentations on the subject. That's where I gave my first lecture. I'm sure you've probably heard me mention on a previous show. And Dave is the guy that I'm working closely with to uh, bring that conference that I've spoke about many times on previous shows, uh, bring that to fruition, the Truth Seeker Conference, UFO and Paranormal Conference. We're hoping it's going to uh, still go ahead next April, assuming the current events um, have finally subsided by then. But before we, uh, we get into today's interview with Dave... Um, I just wanted to bring up some interesting photos that um, Jim Smith, a fellow listener, posted on our Facebook group last night. You can see these photos if you head over to Paranormal Paradigm page on Facebook. Ask to join the group. I'll let you in because I'm nice like that. And you can see these photos. And they're very interesting. Uh, I asked for Jim to send some to me. And he did, so I could analyse them. I messed with some of the contrast, the saturation, some of the colour, and managed to, you know, just show in a bit more detail what it was uh, we, we thought he'd caught. And there's definitely a figure there. Now, a bit of background to this picture. He took a picture of um, a bus that I think has been decorated inside, so it's got a bookcase in, which is quite clear to see in the photos. Um, I, I'm not sure if anyone lives in the buzz. It does look like it's a lived-in buzz or it's a buzz that people can go on and, I don't know, drink on or something. But it's certainly been decorated. And, um, yeah, you can see this figure, and it's so clear. I mean, I, I pointed out to Jim that uh, it almost looks like a mannequin. It, it It's such a clear um, picture of a, of a head. And on one of the longer shots, you can even see a body, an arm, and what looks like a leg. Now, you guys will know that I'm one of the biggest advocates of paradelia going. Uh, that's the ability to see faces and shapes where there aren't any. And uh, I'm always cautious of that when I'm looking at photos like this. But it's that clear and it's that um, it's that obvious that, that you're looking at a head and a face um, that I, I pointed out that it, it, 
it looks like a mannequin. It's almost like whoever's decorated this bush and furnished this bus has put a mannequin in there. Um, but it does look slightly opaque and the body looks slightly see-through and it does look slightly strange. And that's what's making me think it might not be a mannequin. Um, is it a ghost? But I can't say whether it is for certain. Uh, but it's definitely um, a few interesting photos. And I know Jim's very happy with what he caught and I'm very happy that he uh, he felt the need to share them with me. Um, so thank you very much for that, Jim. Um, I'll be certain to put it in my presentations uh, in future, try and get other people's opinions on what they think that could be. And I'll be sure to give you any feedback that people give me regarding the photos. So thanks for that. Um, right, so on to today's interview with Dave, and I hope you enjoy it. And it's my absolute pleasure to welcome Dave to the show. How are you doing, mate? Uh, very good, thank you. Um, sitting here, uh, stuck in my house, but it doesn't stop us <laughs> from having a chat this evening. No, it's um, you know, it's actually been difficult to pin people down, ironically. Um, you'd think people wouldn't have much better to do uh, <laughs> than, than interview podcasts, but uh, luckily you've agreed to come on, which is great. Looking forward to it. Yep. Um, so... I've kind of introduced you as as the Bufog guy, the the chairman of the Birmingham UFO group. Yes. Um, which is a fantastic local group to us. Um, do you want to just give us a bit of background into the group and how you kind of got interested in UFOs to start with and what made you want to go on and, and grow this group into what it's become today? Sure, yeah. Uh, well, if I take things right back to my past, I probably uh, started the same as, as many people do, with a just general interest in the uh, realms of the paranormal uh, and unexplained mysteries that were out there. Uh, I just remember reading Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious World and, uh, and other classic kind of paranormal books back then. Uh, 14 Times used to get that and just read that. And re I just remember just many nights staying up reading it and just really creeping myself out with all these uh, stories. <laughs> um, uh, but the more I looked into the UFO angle, the more that kind of took uh, became a particular interest for me. Um, I just think there's a lot of evidence on record for the reality of it. And it was just fascinating to me, the idea that we uh, that we could be being visited by other non-human species or, or there was interactions from some other intelligences, you know, uh, leaving the exact origins out of the picture for now. Um, it's always been a fascination of mine. And I've had a kind of general um, view on that for a good while and I started reading UFO magazine when I was about 16. The, the uh, UFO uh, magazine, they started having their yearly conference in Surly Hole, where I lived, which was uh, very convenient because obviously okay. back then I didn't drive, so I could just get a bus in. And uh, I just remember going to those early conferences then and just being absolutely fascinated just hearing uh, researchers at the time um, talk about cases they were investigating and being on the front lines with it. And I thought how incredible that would be to just um, just get out there and just meet uh, meet witnesses and just record uh, this incredible stuff that was going on. Um, about then, I, I didn't have any kind of uh, drive at that stage to get into active investigation of the UFO subject. I just had a big interest in it, you know. And when X Files came around and everything, I'd watch all that. <laughs> um, yeah, but, um, yeah, I could have. I could have started actively investigating quite a lot sooner than I did probably, but it was it was the formation of uh, Birmingham UFO Group which really kick-started that for me. Uh, possibly the reason was uh, the other the other groups were a bit further out. There was um, Uform UFO Research Midlands, uh, but that wasn't particularly convenient to reach where they held their meetings. But when uh, Boothfog started up, 
uh, it initially had its meetings in Quinton. Now, I wasn't always the chairman for the group, so I didn't start this thing myself. It was started by a couple of other gents uh, named Craig and Mark, and um, they organized it, and we just came across it online. So I was one of the first members to uh, to sign up for, for the group. I just thought it'd be really good just to get together with uh, other people who'd uh, had an interest in the subject and maybe hear some uh, hear about some of the things that they'd seen. And uh, back at that point, I hadn't had any uh, significant sightings myself, uh, but I certainly believe that it was a, uh, a very real thing. Um, so, so the meeting started in the corner of this pub, really. It wasn't even a meeting room as such. We'd just get together and just have a, a bit of a chinwag um, for a number of hours. But in, in, one, of the, in one of the first meetings that we had there were a, a group of four lads had, had turned up uh, in their early 20s and they'd uh, they'd very recently had uh, an incredible close encounter and i was talking with them in, in depth about it and it was amazing and it had taken place at king's winford in north birmingham and um, basically they'd, they'd uh, seen an octagonal shaped shaped black craft with uh, red and white lights in in the underside of it that flew right uh, right over their heads and they saw it for a prolonged period of time. Uh, and it was it was amazing just hearing them firsthand talk about something that recently happened to them. And I thought it'd be great to go out to the actual location to where this had taken place. I just thought it'd be really interesting to go out there with them uh, to this clearing in the woods where this had happened. And um, Craig and Mark approached me and they said, well, how do, how do you fancy uh, investigating this for us officially for the group and writing up a bit of a, a report on it? And I said, yeah, I'd be well up for that. So uh, what I did when we went out there for the first time I didn't tell them I was going to interview them at all. But when we got out there, I interviewed each of them independently and got them to draw um, independent drawings of, of what they'd seen, uh, which all correlated. And it was quite obvious that they'd had a real experience. And from that, I built a uh, detailed case report with all the drawings and everything inside and gave it back to Craig and Mark. And we put it on the uh, Birmingham UFO Group website. And that was, uh, for me, my first official investigation of a UFO case. Uh, so from that point onwards, I got taken on as the investigator for the group, uh, uh, occasionally getting outside help from other investigators. But I'd say over 90 percent of the cases were investigated by myself. Um, got to 2009, about sort of early 2009. And um, Craig and Mark, for them, it was a kind of short term thing. And they weren't uh, up for running the group as chairman on a long term basis. Uh, so they thought, who better to take over the running of the group than than myself? So they approached me with that position. I absolutely uh, took it on, in um, uh, happy to take on those addition, additional duties. And ever since then, ever since 2009, I've been keeping the group running. We have a really nice active community uh, with uh, regular monthly meetings. Uh, obviously not on at the moment due to the uh, virus outbreak. <laughs> but, um, sort of temporarily put them on hold. But um, yeah, we have uh, regular monthly meetings in Albury where we uh, invite speakers to come and talk. Sometimes I'll obviously give lectures myself um, and we uh, screen documentaries and things like that. So it's, okay. it's really, really good. I, I was really uh, interested in what you mentioned earlier there. Um, you, you were clearly in, interested in the paranormal side of things as yeah. well from, from a young age. But mm -hmm. it's almost like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's, it's, it's like the physical, the nuts and the bolts of UFO sightings is what attracted you more. So with spirits, it's very sometimes wishy-washy. Do they exist? Do they, you know, do they not exist? But with a UFO, is it the physicality of it? Is it the fact that there is a nuts and bolt craft that people witness? Um, is that what attracts you more? 
Yeah, possibly. Although I fully also believe in uh, the ghosts are a very real thing and apparitions. So uh, in some ways, you've got physical manifestations with that sort of the paranormal too. And I could have easily become a sort of general paranormal investigator. But uh, I don't know why I've always been particularly fascinated by the UFO thing. I, I, I just think the some of the some of the bigger cases on record have got so much evidence to back them up. Uh, you know, a lot of that evidence is testimonial. But when you've got cases involving hundreds of witnesses, uh, high-ranking military personnel, astronauts, etc., talking about this yeah. stuff and saying it's yeah. really going on. You have to take that on board. Of course, yeah. I mean, yeah. So you, you mentioned there how you, you've become a, an investigator, and in fact, I yeah. first came across you because of my UFO sighting uh, years ago now, and that's how I found out about you guys, so I reached out. Um, and so with the investigation side of things was that something that 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 you enjoyed more than the research into it because in my opinion it's the same with ghosts there's two different ways there you can kind of be an armchair person yes. and just research famous cases that already exist and put your own spin on it or you can go out and actually you know grab hmm. you know kind of frontline uh, sightings raw unique sightings that no one else has really heard of because yes. you're the first person to investigate it was yes. that the the main appeal Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It, I mean, everybody's read about the bigger cases on record. Um, there's hundreds of books and websites covering these um, main cases, and some of them are, of course, very, very dramatic. But uh, I've always been fascinated by the uh, by the cases just being seen by everyday folk, just um, just regular members of the community. Um, and it was those cases that started coming in via the group, and I could go and actively investigate and speak with people take down their details and, and get their stories out there for the for everybody else to uh, to read up on and take on board. Uh, absolutely fascinating. You know? And there's some of the reward of putting out the case reports has been the fact that in some cases we've actually had new witnesses come forward. So I've uploaded a case report quite soon after the incident has uh, occurred and other people have gone searching for it online because they've seen the same thing from a different place and and they and they didn't realise that anybody else has seen it, and they've come across my case online because of course they go typing in to see if their local area UFO sighting, and up comes the case report because it's clearly you know directly linked with Google. So yeah. it's so that's absolutely brilliant when that happens, and that's occurred on a number of a number of occasions. Okay, so I mean, as time's gone on, so that was two thousand nine when you you really started this. So we're we're well over. Well, that's the uh, yeah, that's when I did the chairman duties. Uh, it was late uh, early two thousand and eight that I really became an investigator. So. Okay, so it's it's for twelve years, longer than a decade now. Yes. Um, do, do have you found that the there's been an abundance of people coming through? Um, you know, asking for your kind of investigative um, skills. Has that happened kind of as a steady? abundance of people throughout that decade or has it increased has it decreased i'd say it's i'd say it's pretty much steady um we got quite an influx in the first year i think that was just because of the uh, excitement of uh, of the group springing up yeah and then and then things tended to settle but occasionally you get these alarmist uh, articles that go out in the newspaper uh, oh ufology is dead in the uk the aliens have all gone home and this sort of nonsense yeah and <laughs> i and i assure you they haven't at all um, now, not every case that I investigate is a new case, yeah. So I get just as many cases um, from from the past, yeah. So I'll go and give a talk, for example, somewhere, and people in the audience will then come to talk with me 
um, about cases that have happened decades ago from earlier in their life that they just want to just want to discuss with me and then uh, with their permission I'll write up a report and get the information out there and it serves as a kind of lasting record in a way of, uh, of what they've experienced um, but new cases st still do come in uh, some of the most recent cases have actually been IFOs uh, they've been the uh, SpaceX uh, launch of the uh, satellites uh, Elon Musk's oh, okay. uh, SpaceX program so um, they are basically uh, there's hundreds of satellites that he's launching up in um, in big long streams up into space and uh, they basically just look like a straight line of satellites following along one after the other and of course if you don't know what that is it just looks incredible and I've had numerous people come to me I haven't seen them myself yet directly but there's lots lots of photos online and it, it immediately became apparent that that's what they'd seen so in those cases we were able to identify them um, but uh, we still get in other cases of a disc-shaped craft of the glowing orbs of light that shoot away very, very fast, um, etc. Uh, just all sorts of cases still continue to this day. Okay, so you, you mentioned there about how uh, people will talk to you about things that have happened to them years and years ago in their yes. lives. Um, I, I, I personally think that's because um, it is quite a taboo subject still. Mm. And um, I have very close friends who, you know, I love dearly, but they still ridicule me for my beliefs in, in yes. the paranormal and, and UFO. So it's a very difficult thing to come out and talk to people about. Do you, do you find that? Do you find a lot of people are very reluctant to talk to you? Do they want to remain yeah. anonymous? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, in, over, in over half of the case reports that I put out, uh, people w uh, don't want to reveal their name. Uh, yeah. In some cases, they don't even want to reveal the town that they live in. Now, I try to get as many location details as possible because that increases the chances of other witnesses coming forward. Yeah, yeah. But um, in some cases, they weren't even happy about that because they're for one or, one or two different reasons, they're rather scared of the ridicule and they just definitely don't want anybody finding out that it was them who gave me the details. But in other cases, they, they're sort of paranoid that something's going to happen bad to them. You know, they're going to get the men in black come to the door or whatever. Uh, and that they're, you know they're going to be in trouble if they if they talk about and release the details of what they've seen. Uh, you know, there's, there's lots of viewpoints um, surrounding that and it's very hard sometimes not to get paranoid when you realise this is really going on. Um, I certainly believe that there's a kind of worldwide cover-up of this subject. So if there's a worldwide cover-up, then you have to ask the people in charge of that cover-up, what are they What are they doing? Who are they? Are they monitoring our group? You know, are they monitoring all the witnesses I speak with? It's hard to say. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I always say it about ghosts, and, and I think it's the same really with, with UFOs, is a lot of people do ridicule the subject. But I can mm -hmm. guarantee that 9.9 .9 people out of 10 have all had a UFO sighting or a <laughs> ghost sighting, um, yes. you know, and when you get them on their own or when they're away from their friends and they're not showing off, uh, they quite often do say, all. actually, you know, <laughs> a few years ago there was something that happened and I can't explain. Yeah. Um, do you find that? Do you find that, you, that the people that are come across as staunch, you know, non-believers have actually all got a story? Yes, yeah, most most people really. They'll, they'll either had something happen to them directly or they'll at least know somebody who has. Uh, it's and I think that, that that ridicule thing is a real problem with the subject and continues to be absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this is done. It's it's because of the media media's portrayal of the subject over the years. It's always been portrayed as a bit kooky, a bit you know, a bit sidelined. Yeah, and that's and. It, when the documentaries go out, even recent UFO documentaries, a lot of the reason I don't appear regularly on, on television with this is because of the uh, the general media's portrayal of the subject, and I can't trust them not to 
not to do that with it. And I've uh, I've been invited to appear on programs that I've turned down, and then I've seen the end result and been glad that I haven't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just talking about the media there in in, yes. in in recent months, there's been a massive increase in in mainstream media actually talking about the possibility that UFOs exist. Um, we had the Navy, uh, the US Navy release files, yes, um, things like that. So it seems to be like it's becoming more and more mainstream. Now, do you think that there's an agenda behind that? Because in my opinion, there has to be a reason why they've gone from staunch kind of suppressors of the subject and ridiculers to all of a sudden, actually, no, this could be a real thing. Is there an agenda there from the media? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think this is partially due to the Pentagon's ad- admissions in, in 2017, which you're talking about, which link on to what the Navy said. So basically, if, any, any, if anybody listening to the podcast who isn't aware of this, uh, in 2000, late 2017, the Pentagon and the US Navy both officially acknowledged the reality of, of UFOs. So there's no argument anymore about them being here. Now, they haven't, they haven't used the word aliens. I haven't said they're alien. But what, what they said is that there are objects making intelligent maneuvers that are massively outperforming the American military. Now, the American military is the strongest military force on the planet, yeah? They've got the, the most high-tech aircraft, etc., yeah? So if these objects are massively outperforming them, then they're clearly from outside. They're not from China. They're not from Russia or anywhere else. They're from outside. Uh, and, and these things are performing, obviously, obviously intelligent maneuvers. They're, they usually act quite defensively and fly fly away when planes get within near near to them. They'll just suddenly shoot up thousands of feet or whatever. And and they've often, they've always acted in that way right back to the 50s uh, yeah. when when they first started looking into these things. But uh, yeah, I mean this this announcement is is incredibly impressive. It's in a it's a form of disclosure, but not. Not the disclosure that everybody wants. Yeah, the, the the disclosure that everybody wants, right, is is all the governments of the world getting up on stage and saying, okay, it's real. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's no we've argument got, got about this anymore. This is real, you know. And, and with that, yeah, they would show evidence of it being real. Oh, here's some aliens. Oh, here's a live one. He's going to come talk with you now. Um, now <laughs> that hasn't happened. The the re- there are very very good reasons for why that hasn't happened. So a lot of people say to me, okay, if this cover up's going on, you know, surely in the modern world we can cope with this. Just tell us the truth, you know. But the reality is that the that the public would find it very, very hard to deal with certain aspects of this subject, yeah, because it's not just UFOs flying around in the sky, their craft flying about and things and checking people out from a distance. You've got the whole contact phenomena going on where, they, uh, where they're taking people from their own houses, from their own cars, etc. Now, if you, if you say it's real, then the next question is, okay, are abductions real? And they would have to say, yes, that's actually going on. People would say, okay, you've, you've got to stop that. And, and they would have to say, we can't. Yeah. So I mean, people are saying that people are struggling to cope with what's going on now with the current yes. pandemic. Yes. Um, you know, we sold out a toilet roll <laughs> in, in, the, in the first few days. Um, exactly. So I, yeah. I, you know, I don't really want to think about what would happen if they did tell us that extraterrestrials yeah. were abducting us against our will. And there's, a, I mean, there's other aspects that go even darker than that. You've got the uh, the animal mutilation uh, phenomena, yes, which, I, yeah. which I believe is definitely linked with the UFO phenomena. Um, you've even got human mutilation cases, um, you know, where humans have been found with similar wounds to the animals. Is that uh, true? I've not, I've never. Yeah. I'm a I'm a massive follower of, of, of yes. uh, cattle mutilation. I know like Linda Moulton Howe yeah. um, has, has done a lot in, into that, and that fascinates me. But I've never I've never heard of humans. Oh I'll, uh, yeah, I'll send you some um, I'll send you some links after the after our chat. 
Oh, okay. That's, that's, a, that's interesting. It's pretty dark, to be fair. Yeah. Um, and it's something, and it's definitely something that the, uh, the the military or the government would not want to publicly acknowledge. And this is the uh, the cover up for mutilations is is another part where we're seeing a, a real a real cover up involved in that, because researchers who are looking into that particular aspect of cases when the uh, when the animals have died and they try to get hold of autopsy reports, something which they'd usually have access to. Yeah, um, they uh, they are they're they're not allowed. They're they're not following standard protocol for these mutilation cases. They're trying to cover it up, trying to stop them from guessing the details about what's happened with those animals. Now that shows straight away that there's something odd going on with that that they don't want to admit to the general public, and they don't like it when people get sniffing around. Wow. Okay. Um, so with the with the cases that you've had, um, yes, I've always been fascinated with the trends of UFO sightings. So mm. when they were first, uh, we had, is it Kenneth Arnold who spotted the flying saucers? Yes. Um, and because he said they were like flying saucers, all of the sightings thereafter were of flying saucers. Mm-hmm. And then as things have changed throughout time, we've gone through phases of cigar shapes. And now as the military's craft has kind of gone more stealth-like, triangular, we've mm-hmm. had a massive influx of triangular-spotted craft. Mm-hmm. So do you find that, is there a link between that, the trend of UFO sightings and military, um, military, I guess, equipment? Um, and, and do you think that the trend is more people being told what they should be seeing and therefore they're seeing it like that? Uh, I think it's partially that. I think it's partially misidentification of of military hardware. Yeah. So, uh, for example, um, no doubt some of the uh, flying triangle sightings are actually stealth bombers being test test flown or whatever, yeah. uh, or other or other advanced craft. Yeah. Uh, that said, there have been triangular uh, cases right the way back to the the start of the century, believe it or not. Um, they're, they're not widely known, and uh, yeah, it's, it seems in recent years that there are more sightings of those. That's uh, that's certainly a trend that seems to be the case. But there are triangular UFO sightings going right back to the 1900s. Okay. Um, uh, so yeah, and you've you've still got disc sightings again. So disc sightings were seen back in 40s, 50s, etc. But yeah. they're still seen today. I still get cases in of of, of domed disc-shaped objects. Uh, the, class, the classic UFO yeah. kind of yeah. look. Yeah, I, st- I still get cases in of, of cigar-shaped craft. Although, really, cigar craft, yeah, half, you had to be careful with that because a disc flying along sideways at a distance will look like a cigar. So, they'll yeah, describe I've, never, it. I've never thought of that, but that's so absolutely right. So they describe it as a cigar, but really, what they're looking at is a disc, and it only becomes a disc when they change the angle and they're looking more up at it. Wow. Um, I get a lot of sightings that are spheres. You get uh, now, obviously, some of those are going to be misidentifications. So it's, all, it's always you've got to remember with this that there's a lot of misidentification of mundane objects. And if you don't take that on board as an investigator of UFOs, then you're not doing your job right. Um, you know, most UFO cases that come into me can be explained away as mundane objects. Now, these sphere sightings, a lot of the time, are going to be balloons. You know, sometimes released from celebrations, maybe yeah. clumped together, maybe they're tethered together, and they're drifting up into the sky, and they look unusual or maybe you get a fleet of them and it's like you know they'll describe a fleet of spheres moving around one another and really it's just a clump of balloons that's drifting at high altitude that said i've, dealt, I've also dealt with plenty of cases where the where small spherical uh, usually kind of chrome silver colored uh, objects have been seen that have clearly not been balloons so for example there was a case i dealt with where they somebody spotted one hovering over the uh, over the roof of a building uh, in strong wind conditions and it was hovering dead still didn't move for several minutes and then all of a sudden it shoots up straight vertically 
Now, you know, nobody's going to tell me that's a balloon. No, no, not at all. So, yeah, so, so it's it's hard to dissociate sometimes. And in, in actual fact, the, the movement of the, of, of the object is almost as important and sometimes more important than how it actually appears. Yeah, I mean, that, that, what you said there is fascinating because for myself who investigates more of the ghosts and the paranormal is, again, nine, nine times out of ten, it, it can be explained away really simply with lighting or, you know, shadows and stuff yeah. like that. And although from an, from an investigating point of view, it's painful to have to admit that, yes, that's not a ghost or in your case, that's not a UFO, you know, it's, it's a balloon. Yeah. Um, do you find that that sometimes... Um, is a limit for other investigators. Do you find that they they will they're so keen and they're so eager for their beliefs to be proven true yeah. that they're willing to kind of brush to the side what it could possibly be and, and link yeah. it to, to UFOs? Yeah, I, 100%. Uh, a lot of ufologists kind of take their sort of viewpoints and, and push them onto the cases they investigate, you know, so you'll get, you'll get certain... Certain researchers will say a particular thing and find a lot of stuff that fits their particular viewpoint and and dismiss other things. Um, you'll get a lot of them who are very skeptically minded, too skeptical, you know, and they they want to disprove everything and everything has to have a mundane explanation. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not the case with this subject. It really isn't. You know, there's a lot of cases which have at least certain aspects of those cases which cannot be explained away as mundane. Um, and uh, you've got to you've got to look at both sides of the coin, you know. And that's how that's how I sit, you know. I'm I'm very much a believer in the reality of this, but I'm also grounded enough to know that a lot of the cases that come in are, are misidentifications. Yeah, I mean, again, that that's um, a really good way of looking at it because, as mm. I say, there's so many investigators out there that will just push their beliefs, um, and it's almost like they're convincing themselves and lying to themselves that what they're seeing is a ghost or a UFO when it just yes. isn't. Yeah, and the same same applies for you know certain beliefs on particular aspects of the subject. So let's talk about origins uh, for a minute. You know these beings. So I, I certainly believe that these craft are not just uh, automatic things. You know I think that they've got occupants. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Uh, there's many many cases on record, and it fit, it feeds directly into the contact phenomena, which I'm, I've got a particular interest in. Now uh, there's certain types of these uh, of these beings, species, if you will, that are, that are seen again and again. And people often ask me, you know, um, where do think they're from you know or well, my personal view and this is totally based on just the evidence that i've seen cases that i've read and looked into over the years um you know right back to childhood as well as actively investigated yeah my personal view is that they are extraterrestrial in origin but possess very advanced characteristics you know multi-dimensional yeah. type capabilities now there are various very good reasons for that um there's, there's a number of contact cases on record where the beings have actually spoken to the the people that are taking aboard their craft and have actually told them you know we're from this particular star system and have shown them star maps and that sort of thing a lot of the a lot of the time when when people are taken they they can look out of a window aboard the craft and they'll see stars outside they're up in space they're they're off planet somewhere they're, they're either in the you know you could say okay they've taken them very very high up out into the out of out of limits of the atmosphere or whatever maybe you know but they but in some cases um they appear to have sort of visions of other planets sometimes you know strange sort of uh, uh, other worlds um and you have to wonder you know are we being shown sort of visions of of their home of their home world there um so i think the evidence uh, supports that uh, and as well just how ad how advanced they are and the fact that they're clearly not human and uh, you know not yeah, yeah. but but I, w I will never dismiss any other 
any other origin uh, belief, you know. So I call them ETs just for short, you know, yeah, just yeah. because it's nice and simple and runs off the tongue. Um, but, you know, and people say, okay, that, oh, why do you think they're definitely extraterrestrial? And I say, well, I, I personally believe that, but that doesn't mean I, I necessarily need to push that view on everybody. If people believe that they're from that they're from our future and that have been sent back in time by futuristic humans uh, to collect samples or whatever. Other people think that they might be manufactured, you know, by the military. And um, I think that that's unlikely, but even so, uh, other people think that they've always lived here like some sort of hidden species and have t- taken a back step and watched human development uh, while, while hiding away in the shadows. Again, uh, you'd have to ask why they do that, but who knows? Um, but yeah, there's a number of different theories uh, then you've got the kind of angels theory that the that they that they are in some way linked with the afterlife or God, um, and again that's you know it, it shouldn't be dismissed. You know if people want to have their own viewpoints and what these are, I think the important thing to realise is not exactly where they're from. It's that it involves other intelligences of some kind, non-human intelligences that are interacting with us. I think so. I think, I think you're right there. I think I think it's 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 a case of just uh, of firstly just agreeing that there is actually something going on. Yes. Um, you know there are sightings and there are contact cases, and you know people being physically, you know, hurt and physically marked by these things. So there's something mm-hmm. clearly going on. Yes. Um, what it is is kind of neither here nor there. Um, yes. This early in the argument, so to speak, exactly. um, and, and as long as someone can back it up and prove as to what why they believe in a particular theory, I'm always happy to listen to someone yeah. um, develop theories because that's how we get to oh, a better understanding. Yeah, you've got to really. I mean, nothing's set in stone with this subject, and if any researcher tells you that there are things that are set in stone, they're probably kidding themselves. You know, there's a there's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of unknown variables. I mean, even even science itself, even stuff that we say is scientifically proven, can yeah. five can five minutes later they'll they'll come up with something else that disproves that, and then straight away those previous viewpoints cease to be relevant. You know, so yeah. even even the way that our own our own science works, the things that are officially proven are still not really genuinely proven. 100%. No, no, that's absolutely right. You you, you mentioned um, briefly uh, one of your bigger interests is is the contactee side of things. Oh yeah. So this is kind of you know one step further down the road of um, someone just seeing a UFO. Now they're actually being regularly contacted. Maybe they've been abducted. Um, do you find that that is common do you find that it that's more common than just seeing a ufo is there a link so do people that see one then go on to become contactees there's a um well there's a definite link with the ufo subject to the first uh, there's there's been some researchers have claimed that the two things are completely separate from one another yeah um that's it's absolutely ridiculous that is um that viewpoint i'll, I'll, I'll put it there it is um most con most contactees most contact um experiences will have an aspect of the ufo subject in them quite often they'll see a ufo and then they'll have an abduction type experience following it. Uh, they'll also tend tend to if they're having repeat experiences. So you get different types of uh, of contactees, abductees, whatever you want to call them. You get people who have a single experience. So they might be driving along at night and they see a UFO and they get taken aboard it. And then they never have any other experiences. It's just that one thing has happened, you know, almost like they've just been there at the wrong time and they've yeah, just seen them yeah. and picked them up. Yeah. Then you get other cases, uh, repeated cases, where an individual appears to have uh, regular contact uh, throughout their life. And it, it often begins in childhood, you know, sort of five or six years old. Um, and uh, it can carry on throughout their whole life uh, sometimes there might be periods of time where it vanishes so it might vanish for sort of 10 or so years and then 
inexplicably all of a sudden it's back again and they're having further experiences um and we don't really know the reason for those gaps or anything and they're not, usually not told um but yeah i mean it's 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 definitely going on you know so it's a definitely definitely a real thing with do you that. find do you find family links you know you just mentioned that about yep. from being a young age yeah do you find if someone's a regular abductee is it uh, their mom was or their dad was or yes yeah, and it, yeah, often you'll find that sort of genetic bloodline. Uh, what I believe is going on about this, and we're getting into sort of deep aspects of, of contact here and what I believe the agendas is, um, I think that they are following particular genetic bloodlines over multiple generations, possibly manipulating genes over time to see how it changes, you know, like an ongoing okay. experiment. Okay, and, so uh, sticking with the same DNA. Basically. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Now, often with a with where where you get that occur over numerous generations, you'll be able to see it follow a particular side of the family. So you might have the you know the grandmother have experiences, the mother have experiences, and then the daughter have experiences. But the father and the you know grandfather won't really have experiences, or they might be indirectly linked with a couple of them. So they might have been there when things have gone on, but haven't been the focus of those experiences. Uh, yeah, yeah. In other in other times they can in other times they're aware that they're going on, but they're completely removed from them. So they might be they might be there at the time, but they'll be shut down. So quite often, when people are taken, if there are other people around, and this is one of the reasons why um, uh, there's not that many observations. There there are some cases on record where people have been uh, observed being abducted. Yeah, but a lot of the time they seem to kind of shut down the area. There's this weird. There's uh, all sorts of odd anomalies with the with the contact subject, and it's a reason why a lot of researchers don't want to go there because it's it's two way out. There's all sorts of really really unusual aspects that go on yeah, with it. Yeah. But there's this kind of time distortion element where the the area surrounding where it's going on, time will appear to kind of slow down or even stop, um, and they can shut people down. So they so if there's another person there, they can go into a kind of trance like state. Sometimes yeah. they'll be lying down. Sometimes they'll even be standing up, but just completely unaware. Um, wow. And they'll just be standing in this trance. It's almost like they've been switched off temporarily. And then after the experience, you know, everything will go back to normal. Well, how, I mean, that, that, that's that's a, a massive kind of can of worms in itself. I mean, I've read of cases where um, aliens or uh, beings have taken uh, an abductee through a roof. So it's like they've, you know, they've kind of manipulated the, the atoms <laughs> of, yep. of a structure or of a wall or a ceiling to, to take you through it. Yes. Um, so it's almost like they're operating outside of our frequency range, which is of huge yeah. interest to, to myself, as you know. Absolutely. Um, but what are we dealing with there? I mean, if these mm. if these things can can alter time, if they can put us into a trance, if they can, you know, manipulate physical walls and physical yeah. kind of construct, then then what's going on there? Exactly. Yeah. It's very, it's very hard to stop these things from happening. So I've spoken with numerous people who said, you know, is there any way of stopping this from happening? And a lot of the, you know, there's some there's some advice that can be given sometimes. Like if you you know shout at them and tell them you definitely don't want this to occur. In a, there's there's been a number of cases where they've done that and seemingly their contact has stopped. But in a lot of cases it doesn't. And, and the best thing for people to do who are undergoing these experiences is first of all, get past that kind of fear of them and, and allow them to become a sort of more normal part of their life and just accepting of them. Now, fascinatingly, in some cases, that can actually change what happens with their experiences. So um, we're getting into another aspect of contact here. So uh, a lot of the time when people are taken, yeah, they, uh, they're paralysed. Yeah, uh, now, yeah. that, now that leads some sceptics to believe that, uh, that sleep paralysis and that is, the, is, the, is what's happening with contact, yeah? That's absolutely... Right 
incorrect, completely and utterly incorrect. Yeah, there are there are definite differences between a contact experience and a sleep paralysis experience. There are aspects that are similar. One of which yeah. is uh, is is the paralysis thing. Yeah, but I've dealt with plenty of contact cases where the individual isn't paralysed at all, can can freely move both before and during their experience. Now, in some cases uh, where you get repeated cases where somebody will have um, contact throughout their life and they've had numerous abductions, at first, when they're very, very frightened, they'll be paralysed and they won't be able to move and it'll all be really, really cryptic and really terrifying. Um, And then later on, when they're older, they'll have experiences where they're allowed to move and sometimes even have deep interactions with the beings, they'll have proper conversations with them, the beings may show them around their craft and that sort of thing. Now, the interesting thing is, it seems to be related to to how they're acting in those experiences, and it makes me wonder whether the beings kind of trust them more not to lash out or hurt themselves, uh, you know, or try to fight back against it. And because of that, they've then allowed them to move and, and no longer be paralysed. Um you get the same thing occur with uh, screen memories. So screen memories uh, is where the, the beings mask the appearance of themselves or their craft. This is a really fascinating aspect. Yeah, I've heard about this uh, yeah. quite often with owls and, that's right, and, yeah. and things like that. Yeah. I'm currently, uh, that's probably because of the similarity between an owl's face with the, you know, the big black eyes and yes, and a growl around. Um, so you get this going on again and again, and I'm currently writing a new lecture on this particular aspect because it's of particular interest to me. Um, so, so with that, again, quite often screen memories occur when, uh, when the concert is quite young, when they're a child, the, the beings will appear to them uh, as something else. Yeah, it can be a cartoon character. It can be another member of their family. It can be a little doctor guy, all sorts of things. And then later on in their life, they'll, um, they'll see them in their normal form, it's almost like the beings are aware that their that their actual form is no longer going to frighten them or scare yeah, them off, and, yeah. um, and and that they're able to deal with it better. I don't know whether that's the case. You know, I can't say for definite. This is just theories on on my observations. Do you find that um, through all the contact cases that you you've, you've investigated, is there ever any malicious ones? Because of course, the first thing that people think about when when aliens abduct you. Is it evil? They're doing experiments on you. I mean, I remember that film Fire in the Sky that I used to watch so much when I was younger about Travis Walton, yeah. and he used, to, he used to scare the hell out of me. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's what people think. People think that when you get abducted, they operate on you, and it's horrible. Um, but there are actually a lot of positive experiences out there. You know, as you say, yes. people that get shown star systems, and mm-hmm. people that get kind of almost they get given prophecies to come back to to. to spread around the world um do you find that there's a an even split between kind of uh, benign and malicious uh, contactee cases yeah i would i would say in some ways it's kind of closer towards the positive uh, or rather neutral should i say uh, so a, a lot of the cases are, are terrifying but they're not yeah. terrifying because they're being malicious it's terrifying because it's so out of the norm and yeah. the uh, the the greys especially the uh, the the beings that people more, most often report with contact um they are quite cryptic and sometimes they won't say anything at all to the person um you know they just go about doing what they're doing almost like worker drones um sometimes i'll say a few words to them uh, there are aspects of it sometimes i'll try to calm them down so they'll either stare directly into their eyes up close or or sometimes put their hand on the top of their head and the person will feel a kind of wave of calm go through them so if they start to sort of panic 
the beings have this way of calming them down. Now you could say, okay, they're being nice to the uh, the abductee there. That's you know for their benefit. But you know, is it or or is it just so that they struggle less and try to fight back less? Yeah, you know. So there's yeah. two sides are looking uh, to to most of this. You know, you can either view it in a kind of positive light, or a or, or a negative or a more negative light, and say that we're being harvested in some way. Yeah. But but there's a lot of cases on record where people have got really, really deep interactions with these beings. Um, quite often in repeat cases, there'll be a particular entity that they'll feel drawn to and it'll feel like another member of their family. And they'll often have interaction with that one particular being, even though there are other beings that are also seen that look identical to it. Yeah. So the okay. greys especially, the greys especially all all look relatively similar to one another you get different kind of subtypes there's different colors are reported sometimes different heights quite often they're sort of about four foot high like children's size but yeah uh, there are some cases where really short ones have been seen about two foot high other ones where massive tall thin ones have been seen and in actual fact that was actually rep uh, represented by steven spielberg in the classic film close encounters of the of third course, kind yeah. uh, if you remember at the end of the film when the uh, when the doors open there's hundreds of these little guys running around and then in the middle of it there's uh, a taller one with sort a of long thin one. arms yeah now that's that uh, steven um, took that idea from real contact cases because he'd heard that, that in numerous cases. And it doesn't always happen, but certainly I've dealt with quite a few contact cases where that exact thing has been seen. Oh. So, but, I mean, for, one thing that's interested me as well is you always hear people say, oh, if, you're get, you know, if you're getting abducted, then it's because you live in Texas or <laughs> you, know, you live in like kind of the, the south of uh, the United States. Um, is that the case? Is, does there seem hmm. to be more abduction cases over their state side is it because the population's bigger is it because they're more uh keen to talk about it we're probably more i guess i don't know reserved and we don't want to talk about it as much yeah that'd be right yeah i believe that this is going on worldwide and i think that the differences uh, can be down to yeah population size as well as how accepted the subject is so in america it's it's a lot more a lot less taboo uh they've a lot more americans are open to the idea that yeah, that the government is hiding the reality from them and that abductions are a real thing. Um, and that leads on to nicely into the contactee support that we offer uh, through uh, through Boofog. So uh, across in America, you've got lots and lots of abductee support groups. If you go searching online, you'll find, you know, there's there's groups available for contactees to, to meet up and, and chat about their experiences with one another. Yeah. You look in the UK, it's next to zero. So... Yeah. Yeah. So um, soon, it was about 2010, I believe, we started the contact to support thing. Uh, basically, uh, I wanted to do something for for the cases in the UK that were going on. Because obviously, over half of my contact, I've dealt with about 300 or so contact cases now. Um, wow. About over half of those have been UK-based, yeah. I'd say yeah. two-thirds in the UK-based. Uh, but I do deal with cases from all around the world. I've dealt with cases from Australia, so... You know, I, I take on whatever cases come my way. Obviously, it's impossible to meet up with people directly, but in yeah, this virtual yeah. age, I can just chat with them on Skype with video, and it's like we're in the same room. Course, so yeah. there should no longer be a limiter to, to that to distance. Um, and I didn't want it to be. And with the contactee support, I thought, well, it'd be good to kind of get a group going where the contactees would be able to talk with one another in a uh, in a confined and 
enclosed environment you know without fear of ridicule and yeah. be able to run run ideas past one another talk about their experiences ask questions so but i didn't want the uh, didn't want the distance to be a limiter to that i didn't want to say okay we're going to have regular meetings in birmingham because obviously anybody outside of the midlands you know be probably too much of a drive for them yeah. so i figured the best way to do that would be an online support group so we, we set up a chat room on the on the Bufog website a private chat room the contactees could um could uh, join in with i'm planning to get that up and running on the new site soon but we recently I've, I've recently rebuilt the site from the ground up uh, and at the moment that's an aspect of it that i'm still still working on implementing um okay. but but i regularly provide support for for uh, abductees contactees okay uh, regularly provide that support for them over the phone uh, it's particularly it's particularly relevant because contact is often laughed at um, yeah, yeah, it's, and that's because of the media portrayal of it, and how and how just wild some of the experiences can be. Uh, you need, and but it, it causes all manner of dreadful upset. Uh, not only do the experiences themselves cause cause long lasting trauma, um, you know, real long term psychological issues uh, with the, uh, with the people involved. It uh, it can also break apart relationships. Uh, yeah, you know, I've yeah. dealt and I've I've dealt with cases where people have been, you know close to suicide with it um you know so when when you when you see these cases um when you see it laughed about and, and treated like a big joke you know the reality is down on the ground that it's deeply affecting people's lives you know and it's no laughing matter no um, i mean what, you, what you've just said there I, I think is is really really poignant because you know if if we just kind of just stop all the kind of talking about this and the ifs and the buts if we if this was real and there are these physical beings that are taking you aboard a ship against your own will and they're doing things to you and no matter how uh, benign they they try to come across it is scary um yes and if that's happening to you whether it be on a regular basis whether it just be once um and you don't have anyone to turn to and yep. your closest friends or your closest family don't believe you and ridicule you yeah um, that must be very very lonely um, a very lonely place to be yeah now, the amount of people that have told me you know when when i've talked with them about their experiences have just thanked me you know from the bottom of their heart just just for you know having a voice of reason somebody they could talk with who just didn't treat them immediately as a nut just know, for listening it, really yeah you know yeah. um and I never wow. try to push. I never try to push my views onto those onto those individuals. I um, you, usually because if they ask me questions about you know what my views are on particular things that are happening to them, the very first thing for me to do with them will be to get down the details of their experience. You know that's one of the, my protocols with investigation. I don't want my viewpoints on particular aspects of this subject to change how they view their own experiences. So the very first thing I'll do with them is go through everything that's happened to them. Yeah, and, and only after that start delving into you know what my thoughts are on particular things yeah, yeah. so do you want to i mean i'm i um for, for our listeners uh, yes me and me and dave have already agreed that we're gonna dave's gonna come back on and we're gonna do a one-off special on a case that uh, dave has told me about before uh, it's a fascinating case but we both agreed that it would take up far too much of this show and we wouldn't have been able to talk about anything else really yep. so we're going to talk about that at a later date but have you got um, maybe another case that you can quickly discuss uh, just to give people a feeling of, of the kind of things that, that are happening out there, the, the, the things that people do approach you about? Yeah, I mean, do you want a, uh, do you want a contact case or a uh, Yeah, case? We'll, we'll go go with a contact case. 
Yeah, well, I, I can tell you about one that contains um, a visitation. A visitation is where the uh, the beings appear in the local environment to an individual. Uh, so they're not taken aboard a craft, but they see the beings. So we'll, we'll talk about a case that involves a visitation and also uh, what's known as automatic writing. So basically a script that appears yep. to be in an alien language. Yep. Uh, this is a really fascinating case. Okay, So this is one from way back. I think I investigated this one in 2010, if I remember correctly. Um, and it involved a um, young chap, mid-20s, uh, from Dudley and uh, I've gone up to see him he had no interest in the UFO subject whatsoever okay so he just but he'd had an experience uh, and he wanted to talk to me about it so he got he found our group online got in touch and I drove up to Dudley to have a, uh, a proper chat with him and immediately be became apparent that he had no real interest in the UFO subject but he'd um, he'd looked into he'd seen what had happened to him and he'd looked online and found out that it, you know it, it was potentially linked with contact so we got in yeah. touch so essentially what had happened is um there was, there was a particular night um now in his bedroom at the time they, they sold the bed so they just had the mattress lying on the on the ground of the bedroom they're waiting for a new bed to turn up so we're right down near the floor so him and his girlfriend they're right down near floor level and um they'd they'd gone off to sleep uh, well, they got into bed and got on this mattress, so they're right low down. And his girlfriend had dropped off to sleep, and he's lying there looking around the the room. Yeah, and he starts to see these weird squiggling shapes, these little black darting worm-like things darting around, and he's following them with his eyes and and thinking, what's you know what's going on? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's an old it's an odd aspect of this particular case. You, you get all sorts of these little aspects, uh, and sometimes they're repeated, and other times they seem kind of almost more more unique. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but often preceding a contact experience, uh, the individual can often see odd visual stuff going on in the room. You know, changing colours. You know, weird shadows that don't make sense. That sort of thing. Okay. Um, so you've seen these little things starting around, and then he he rolls over to kind of follow one of them. And he's immediately greeted by the sight of three uh, greys standing alongside the mattress right right next to him. Now, don't forget, he rolls over at this point, so he can put sleep paralysis out the window. He could he could yeah, move yeah. he can move freely. Yeah. So he looks at these things. He, they had very very tall craniums, uh, black almond shaped eyes. They were wearing these uh, tight sort of dark grey uh, body suits, and they're just uh, and they're just standing there alongside the bed in a row, three of them, uh, and the. He's obviously shocked by this. He doesn't know what they are. He doesn't know that they're called greys. Well, they're not actually called greys. It's what humans call them because of the general colour of their skin. Yeah, so, yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, nobody really knows what they're actually called, if they're called anything at all. Um, anyway, the the one nearest to his shoulder, it reaches out for him. Yeah, so he said it had, he, he drew a picture of its uh, hand. It had like four fingers. Oh, wow, okay. So it reaches out towards him, and that's, that's commonly reported that they've got sort of four fingers. Um, reaches out towards him. Uh, to react against that, he rolls back over. <coughs> uh, he rolls back over, tries to shake his girlfriend awake. Uh, remember, I said earlier in the chat that people can be uh, shut down, yeah. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. so he couldn't wake her up, yeah. So he's shaking her vigorously, yeah. But she's fast asleep; she won't wake up. He's hitting her on the arm; she's not waking up, yeah. Um, he rolls back over, and as and as he looks up, there's something above him in the air, yeah. Weird thing kind of almost like lizard-like but with this kind of it had a sort of snouty nose and a kind of almost like a ghost-like tail with his two arms okay. it was some sort of black apparition thing like a shadowy apparition of something uh, could have links with the reptilians one of the types of beings that they reported species if you will um anyway this thing sinks down and goes into his chest 
and it just falls down into him. Yeah, as it sinks into him, he blacks out. So that's quite commonly reported with experiences. So now uh, they'll be having an experience of visitation and then all of a sudden blackout. Yeah, almost like yeah. they're sedated yeah. and they'll just drop. Next thing he knows, it's morning time and he's waking back up. Yeah, asked his girlfriend. She doesn't remember anything about it. And he's, he told her about what he could remember about these beings standing alongside the bed. And okay, so about a day goes by and um, he suddenly feels the urge to write. He doesn't know why. Yeah, so he, he grabs right. his, he grabs a pen and he grabs a pen and he grabs a pad of paper, and he starts writing and he he starts writing these weird symbols. Yeah, they're curled lines and and dots and things. Yeah, uh, it starts off as random congregations of these in kind of rough short lines. Yeah, but it, it soon becomes quite regularized. Yeah, and he's drawing vertical line after line after line of these things. Yeah, now he uh, and it's a language, and he ends up drawing twenty four. A4 pages of, uh, of script. Wow. Um, well, it's actually 23 and a half pages. Yeah. Uh, he, he showed me all this he'd drawn. He did it over numerous sessions. Yeah. And he said that when he thought about it, his hand would stop. Yeah. It was only when he, he just let it go by itself. And he'd just sit there writing these symbols down, 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 line after line after line. Yeah. Um, didn't know what they meant or anything. Doesn't, doesn't know any kind of deeper meaning to them. Gets to the end of, gets to halfway across page 23 and it just stopped. You know, and I said, what's going on there? You know, what, what's going on there? And he said, whatever this was, that was the end of whatever it was, the end of the message. How long did that happen over? Was that, did, did uh, that period, all happen at once? period of days. So he'd, he'd fill the edge to write and he'd write a few pages and then stop and then later on and just go again. And it, and it was clearly a language because there were repeated, yeah. there were repeated symbols, I guess, like like we have repeated Yeah, and now this is, yeah, this is where things get really interesting. So I was like, wow, this is amazing. Yeah, so it, first of all, it's not any known earth language, okay, but and it is an alphabet, yeah, so you get repeated symbols through it. It's quite a lot of symbols. There's far, far more than 24, but there's... There's a lot, you know, there's repeated, you see the same symbols again and again through it by looking carefully at it. Yeah, yeah. So it's something, okay? Um, here's a really interesting thing. He had no idea what this actually meant at all. Yeah, it was just there, and we could do with it whatever we, we liked. And I hope to get it looked at by a proper sort of cartographer at some point, you know, yeah, just yeah. any sort of deeper meaning to it. Now, here's the interesting thing. There's a contact case on record from many years before with a, a guy named Mike Oram. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of Mike at all or not, but no, he's, no. he's a uh, he's a repeat contactee. You know, he'd, he'd had numerous experiences going back to childhood. Now the beings that he saw, they were kind of light greys, but they had uh, sort of um, three parts to their head. Almost, he called them the flower people because their head reminded him of a. <laughs> of a, of a wow, okay, his, yeah. yeah, the uh, is the heads reminded him of a tulip flower opening. Yeah, okay. okay. Um, so kind of three points at the top of their head, but the face was generally a you know a grey, you know, with the black eyes and that. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So there was some sort of subspecies of greys or whatever. Anyway, uh, one of his experiences, he'd had, he'd been given this information download. It's called. This is where you suddenly get kind of symbols or some sort of message or pictures inside your brain directly. Sometimes the beings all pass it to you. Other times you'll just get it without seeing any beings there. Okay. Yeah. So he, he had this experience where he was shown these symbols and they were coming up in his mind and he wrote them down and he wrote down about sort of eight eight short kind of passages of these symbols and he had a rough feeling on what they were related to uh but he wasn't told exactly what they meant uh all he knew is that he was supposed to kind of show them to people and people would read them and it would change them on a subconscious level or something yeah okay so he had these symbols and they were in his book and everything now Remember, this guy I went and spoke with in Dudley, he had no idea about UFOs. He had no interest in who Mike Oran was or about contact or anything, okay? Um, 
I looked at the symbols that Mike Oren had drawn, and we got over a sort of about ninety-two percent hit rate on them. So uh, well, most of they matched. Yeah, most pretty much all of Mike Oren's symbols are inside this passage of script. Yeah, except for uh, there, there's plenty of other symbols that that aren't. Yeah, there's loads of other symbols in the, the guy's script from Dudley that Mike Oren had never drawn. But I was able to match up. Yeah, because immediately as soon as I saw this script, I thought this is really reminiscent of uh, of, and I remembered that these drawings that Mike had done in his case, and I went and looked at them, and I showed these. I showed the. Uh, the symbols to Mike and he, and he basically said, that's the, that's the closest we've ever got. You know, he'd seen numerous cause it's not the only cases involving symbols yet. Yeah, and it, yeah, it's yeah. not like it happens all the time yet. It's only kind of, you know, less than 5% of contact cases, but there is still quite a lot of cases on record where people have drawn weird scripts and quite often they don't seem to match any other scripts. They seem to be quite unique. But in this case we had, a, you know, it's quite obvious that they're the same language. Wow. Um, and yeah, Mike was pretty impressed with that, you know, when I showed him and everything. It's and yeah, it's it's just an incredible case, you know, because you've got the the visitation by somebody who has no interest in the subject. Yeah, which is interesting in itself because yeah, you know they're not they're not yeah. lying or they're looking for their their bit of fame. Oh yeah, yeah, this was this is real, and I know and I know he did he wasn't looking for his bit of fame because. Um, later on, I contacted him back here yeah, to ask whether he'd had any further experiences just to do a checkup, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. and, he, ba- and he basically told me to to go away. You know, he, he said he just moved on with his life and he wanted to put it behind him. You know, so it so, wasn't like it wasn't like he was trying to make anything big of it or anything. You know, he just said to me, "Well, you know, we spoke before. I gave you the details of what happened, and I'm just trying to get on with my life." You know. That, so it, does that response kind of show? Was he scared? Was he, um, was he trying no, to put it behind him because he, he he was scared of what he'd? No, it didn't. It didn't appear to be. It's just uh, it's it's just, in some cases, yeah. People will have an experience and it'll change them. Yeah, and they'll they'll either get a massive fascination with the UFO subject and want to lap it up ever since. Uh, in other cases, the opposite. You know, they'll be extremely frightened by it. With yeah. this, it, with this, it was just he just went about his his life. It happened. <laughs> it was a weird thing that happened to yeah. him. It didn't really change his life on a massive level. And I've, I've spoken with lots of people like that. Yeah, yeah, and sometimes it can be how weird the experience is and how outside of the norm it is. They'll be like, "Okay, it happened. I'll just put it back there, back in my mind, you know. I'll just get on with things." That's not a reaction you think about, really, is it? You all like you always think about they're going to dive yeah. into it and you yeah. know be crying out for another experience or you know yes. absolutely fearful of what they've seen and hoping it never happens again. Yeah. But to kind of just be so blasé and just go, well, yeah. yeah, just just as if you know he's popped down the pub for a pint and <laughs> it happened. Yeah. Um, that, that's a very bizarre way of looking at it. It's interesting. But you've also got the kind of sceptical one where you know somebody will have an incredible experience, they might say a landing craft and a being come out, and they'll still dismiss it. And they'll be like, no, nah, <laughs> yeah. I must have been, you know, I must have had one too many old. <laughs> yeah, I think that goes back to what we spoke of earlier, where you have the people that are so um, desperate to prove their belief, and then at the other end of the spectrum, you have the people that, you know, if, if an alien was to kind of yep. physically grab them and take them on board the ship and like a fireman's lift, they'd still find a way to explain it away. That's it. Yeah, yeah, they're, you know, they're, they're so desperate for it to not be, you know, an, a, another intelligence or not be an alien. Yeah, you know, there's got to be a there's got to be a rational mundane explanation for this, you know. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, well, we'll start kind of wrapping it up there. Um, yes. Do you want to um, please give as much information as you can to our listeners? So your websites, your any way they can contact you, because I'm sure absolutely thing. positive there's listeners out there who've had experiences who, who'd like to talk to you. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm a very active investigator. There's not that many really truly active investigators in the UK anymore. Uh, UFO groups are shutting down left, right, centre. Other yeah. ones are sometimes springing up, but it's few and far between, and that's because it does require a lot of sort of dedicated time and effort to keep keep it going. Uh, but it's a fascination uh, to me. Uh, I'm more than happy to speak with people about their experiences. That doesn't necessarily mean that I have to write a report. So I'm not like a journalist who'll just jump on details and just put them out there. It's always done with the discretion of the individual involved if they want their name taken out, details taken out, etc. But it's a good way of getting it on record and, and sharing it with the wider community uh, so other people can learn from their experience. And as I said before, sometimes it's led to other witnesses coming forward, so it's definitely a worthwhile yeah, thing yeah. to do. Yeah. Uh, if anybody wants to get in touch, okay, so our, our main website is www.bufog.com. That's B-U-F-O-G.com. All the case reports that I've written over the years are on there. There's hundreds of case reports to read on there and a wealth of other information. Um, there's a citing report form that they can fill out on that and that will come through to me via email. There's also my direct email address and phone number if people want to get in touch directly via phone or email, I'm more than happy to. Um, and we can arrange a chat on Skype. Uh, if the individual lives in the Birmingham area and if there's no uh, virus going on, uh, I can go. I can, uh, oh, what do you know? There is. But yeah, I can go and meet them directly as well. And I have been doing that obviously up until this, uh, this point from time to time. Um, so there's lots of different ways people can get in touch. If people want to remain anonymous, that's absolutely fine. They can just pass me the details on an email and then say that they don't want me to get back to them. That's also fine. Although often I won't have the full details and it'll end up with a kind of sporadic report and there would have been other things I could have asked, but I'm unable to, if you see what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Um, in between, in between meetings and also permanently at the moment, uh, we've got our community page. So anybody on Facebook, we've got a Facebook organization page, Birmingham UFO Group, you can search for. Uh, I don't really put that much on there, just announce when there's new case reports and new meeting uh, events. Um, but we've got our community page, which is called Bufog Truth Seekers. And people can go on there. Uh, I'm the admin of that, so I need to add them to the group. But once they're added, they can ask questions in there, post videos and pictures, uh, talk about their own experiences. Uh, I'm on there regularly, as is many of the other BFOG members and a whole load of other people. Including so, it's, it's, uh, Including yourself, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, well, thank you very much for that, Dave. It, it's been, uh, you know, we, we've spoken quite a lot over, over recent months and yep. um, never really in so much depth. <laughs> There's so many aspects um, of this, you know. It's you yeah. could just I could I could literally go on for hour after hour after hour on different things. Yeah, so and, more and, and we, will. Yeah. we will. We uh, will. We'll get you back on. We'll definitely do a, a one-off episode for that Droid Witch case because that, sure that, that that fascinates me. Um, I've told so many people about that case. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, a really really it's, interesting case. It's pretty wild, yeah. Yeah, um, but yeah, that's uh, that's been absolutely brilliant. So uh, until next time, take care. Thank you very much, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Cheers, bye. So I hope you enjoyed that interview there with Dave Hodrian. It was certainly fascinating for me, as I said in the interview. You know, I, I talked to Dave a lot over, uh, you know, over the past few months, particularly with organising this this conference that we're trying to get going. Um, and I've never really got that in depth on the UFO subject with him. Obviously, very very knowledgeable. Um, a lot of experience with investigating and contactee cases. Um, and as I say, we'll we'll definitely get him on for that one-off special very very soon. To talk about that one in Droit, which um, just to give you a bit of a uh, a hint, a bit of a heads up, it, it it involves video footage of a lady vanishing from her bed, um, raw video footage of a lady vanishing from her bed and then reappearing again several minutes later. 
Um, I've seen the video. Uh, it's been validated. It's fascinating. And uh, hopefully Dave can come on sooner rather than later again. And we can uh, we can really dissect that case and bring it to you guys because it's, uh, it's a fascinating case indeed. So that brings us to the end of this episode. Um, as always, thank you for listening. Please send this on uh, in this time of lockdown. Uh, we're all a bit bored. We're all climbing the walls. Um, I'm sure there's, there's people out there that haven't yet heard of this podcast. Just share it around. Send it to your friends and family. Um, give them something interesting to listen to while they're uh, while they're not allowed out in the, at the time being. And um, please be careful. Please stay safe. Look after yourselves and your loved ones. And uh, we'll speak soon. Take care.